Welcome to Making Sense of MarTech, in a regular set of conversations with some of the most interesting people in marketing, tech, and advertising. I'm Juan Mendoza. I write the MarTech Weekly Newsletter. It's a weekly email that covers the most important shifts in marketing tech. People who work in the world's largest media tech and marketing companies subscribe. You can read, listen, and sign up at themartechweekly.com. Okay, today I'm joined by Josh Alvania. He's a CEO and co-founder of Clue. Clue is a leading data and media partner for search, social, and programmatic advertising. They help marketers interpret and transform their data into growth. And Clue is a digital native company. They have remote staff located around the world. But recently they did quite a fascinating piece with DigiDay, analyzing the emergence of something called conversion APIs a solution that kind of fits into this evolving jigsaw puzzle of what happens to tracking and targeting once third-party cookies go away. So in this episode, Josh and I work through what conversion APIs are, their role in online advertising, dealing with change in the advertising industry from a hands-on, coalface perspective, and how the movement towards online privacy seems very similar to climate change. And now I give you, Josh, how you doing? Hey, thank you for having me. So I would love to learn a little bit about yourself, Josh. Uh, what do you love about agency life? <laughs> I know that that is um, a an interesting topic that a lot of people uh, think isn't possible, but I do love the pace of it, which sometimes can be grinding and, some, and you know, uh, work-life balance is sometimes a thing that needs to be managed, but what I love mostly is growing businesses and understanding and winning customers and media is an amazing place to do that especially because as it becomes more involved in data and technology stacks and you start to become more integrated with things like chief customer officers and the entire experience you do have the ability to tackle that challenge and it's it's an amazing thing that I'm happy to say at Clue, I believe we're at the forefront of. That's amazing. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, what attracted me originally to agency consultancy life was the, um, the breadth of experience that you get, right? Like, I think it's a bit of a breeding ground for the generalist, really. Uh, the people who are not really satisfied with just working within one business model, they want to understand how to grow businesses across different industries and niches. I can imagine Clue do that quite a bit as well. You have um, quite a cross-section of different customers that you work with across industries and also business model. Yeah, and it's surprising how the methodology for attacking any industry vertical at its core is actually a very, very similar proposition and returning it always to the audience and the customer and getting a handle on those where it frays and becomes different is the places that your audience exists or your customer exists and the ways that they want to interact with the business based on the size of your product and its purchase value and all of that type of stuff and how your salespeople interact. But really at the end of the day, shockingly enough, it can come back to a core set of practices and values. And that's an amazing thing that I think unless you work in our industry, you don't really get to understand. Mm, yeah, you're right. I think there's there's a pattern that can be applied to a lot of businesses, but you really need that sort of hands-on experience working with a number of different brands to start spotting those patterns. 
Because I agree. I mean, like even if you look at, say, the perspective you just mentioned, customer experience, right? Like if you look at lifecycle marketing, in most cases, the the format for how you do that uh, type of lifecycle marketing is pretty similar across most brands, right? And some are B2B and B2C and, you know, there's a different approach to both of those. But in a lot of senses, you've got the same sort of format for a customer journey or the different phases in which a customer might be in from acquisition right through to retention or winning them back after they've, say, churned. And so it's interesting, right? Like you know, a lot of these mental models can be applied across different businesses. But what's interesting is that you can take those interesting learnings out of certain businesses and then bring them into a different company as well, right? That's the real pattern spot and spotting opportunity, I think, in agencies is you see where one thing works with one brand, oh, let's give it a go with someone else. So let's tweak our messaging or let's tweak our targeting or these learnings from one company to another. And you can really sort of leverage that education as well as you go along. But I guess what we're talking about today is uh, conversion APIs, and we'll get there soon and start unpacking that. But before we get there, Josh, I'd love for you to perhaps give us a sort of a broad strokes overview of how advertising is changing. We've got a lot of different movements in privacy right now, a lot of different changes from a regulatory perspective, but also from tracking and working with big tech and ad networks, but then also consumer change as well. Now, how do you see that impacting what you're working on day to day with your customers. What does that, what do those conversations look like? And, and what do you see as the major sort of shifts in how people are thinking about media right now? Yeah, I think there are, this is a very, very big thing. So I'm going to try to make it digestible and able to be put inside of, inside of our conversation today. But I think there are three major changes that are driving every conversation. And then it gets executed differently based on the brand. But First and foremost, there are economic changes. Um, generally, everyone is in you know agreement that there is um, some sort of recession or there is a time of increased competition where also the money that people may be borrowing or may be um, received from a financing round um, is more expensive and thus is much more precious. And you could see that in... Um, the top three goals that the IAB stated in their, you know, uh, state of the industry survey, the top three goals that people have for their media campaigns right now require customers, grow brand equity, and media efficiency. So they want customers now, they want them in the future, and they want them for the best price because profitability is now mandatory. Um, so you're always working from this idea that you have to be profitable or that is the end goal for all media campaigns. Then you have a consumer-led change, which is that, yes, the pandemic did make everything inflect and become more digital. Um, and so uh, experiences are blending online and offline, and there's data things with that. But really what you're also seeing is there's an increasing fragmentation into where you need to play. Because even now, I think this is a great timely conversation to have because OpenAI and Microsoft and even TikTok are now even threatening Google's dominance in search. And so now uh, your ability to be a little bit more focused on one search player now requires you to have to figure out how to address many different channels. And that's changing that, you know, fragmenting across social, that's fragmenting in programmatic, connected TV. And so now like where your audience is and your desire to need to address that from the concept of also being profitable is um, something you have to think about when it comes to building strategies. And, and then the final piece I think would be the technological and data 
infrastructure piece, which is the most climate changey that we can talk about, is that the way that to connect a lot of these before, because you had browser experiences that your customers would go through on your website and you'd have app experiences, maybe with some sort of mobile app that they wanted to download or purchase your product through, the ability to have that ID that would be consistent in multiple environments and tie that whole story together and relate that back to profitability, that is also deprecating. So you have a need for profitability. You have a much more complex way of gaining customers and allocating budgets and figuring out where you are. And then you have, you know, the headwinds of it's almost maybe impossible for me to tie these ecosystems together because the large players of Google and Apple and even the big social networks are actively gating um, the information you need in order to protect their IP and to protect their positioning in the market. So all of those three things together, I think, is the perfect storm that marketers are dealing with today. It's It definitely sounds like a perfect storm in that it's chaotic. And there's a lot that you just mentioned across um, so many different angles there, right? Like even, you know, as you say, that there's a... Well, you know, theoretically, you should probably say in most advertising, there should be some shift of profitability, right? <laughs> you know, but like the need for that and it's a, well, a scare recession is how I sort of frame it, right? Is that, you know, we've got media that's saying that that we're heading towards a recession and then we're sort of they're standing there looking at our watch going, oh, are we actually in a recession? Maybe. Okay. Well, we've got record, record low unemployment in the US right now. I mean, a lot of people have jobs, uh, people are spending. I mean, are we in a recession? Oh, I don't know. But, you know, I think that even that sort of for media buyers and, and brand side looking at budgets are like, oh, maybe we should pull the purse strings a bit just so that we have um, our a bit of an edge around perhaps a recession and sort of a lack of effectiveness of the media. But it's interesting. Another po topic that you just called out, which I find fascinating, is this search for profitability but then also looking at other channels, right? Um, and looking at, I call it the bifurcation of channels. So, you know, there's a variety of channels now that are opening up outside of your dominant players, right? As you mentioned, like TikTok is getting into search. Bing just get, a, they got a million users, or as reported yesterday, and this is sort of mid-February, a million users on their new chat GPT integration with Bing, right? So, you know, they've got all this sort of challenges to search, but then you have things like retail media, which is basically retail companies going into media as well. You have new things like contextual advertising and more sophisticated ad networks like WordPress and Automatic have just launched their ad network. And if I look at that, there's a fantastic Critio report that just came out and that talks about nine out of 10 media owners and media agency owners are recommending to their customers to split their channel spend across a variety of new channels. And so is that your experience as well, Josh, that this sort of, this changes in the industry from different factors is leading to this, let's try some new channels, you know, let's get away from the monolith a little bit and experiment with new formats. Yeah. Well, I, I always, I always try to lead my customers from their audience, mainly because I think media has a tendency to be self-reinforcing as an industry and academic as an industry, but where we play as a partner is, is the reason why our campaigns perform so well is because our analytics background. We we provide this type of groundbreaking analytics and where we always try to give direction from 
is a person's first party data, which then does relate to the conversion API topic and everything like that we're about to talk about. But really, there are ways to use your data assets to find out which of these new places you have an opportunity to play in by looking at things like overlap and looking at a lot of different tools that are now available either through third-party data partnerships and things like data clean rooms and being able to do these types of analytic reports but the it is no longer a simple conversation or the tools and the processes that worked before are slowly kind of changing and fading away and what we're seeing is that in order to navigate this analytics can't be an afterthought it needs to be something that you lead from and that's what we that's what we provide to our customers as part of the operations yeah because there's a logical aspect to that right the stronger your analytics function the better insight into your customers the better insight into your customers leads to well it should lead to better strategy Better strategy leads to better channel selection. It also leads to better creative, right? So it's like the insight exactly. will drive the outcomes, which is, you know, you just don't go and experiment willy-nilly with any other channel, say with retail media. Actually use your insights to figure out if customers are actually buying there, if they're actually spending, you know, what is the the audience opportunity there as well. So, you know, I think you're right that like a lot of agencies sort of fall on one side. They're very technical and analytical or they're very creative and more brand-led, right? And I would say that, you know, there's probably more of a space in the middle now where uh, both sides are saying, yeah, we need more creative uh, aspect to improve our effectiveness. But then the brand side is like, yeah, we need a lot more chops when it comes to analytics and really understanding insights as well. So I think there's a bit of a funny middle bit where perhaps Clue is sort of in that middle space in between uh, doing both yeah. things quite well. Um, but it's interesting. That's, yeah. that's the unique way that we've tried to address our model because it, oddly enough, the barrier... To, to addressing a lot of these things and doing that is not technological, but often operational or even um, how you allow people to access it financially. So the barriers become that it is extraneous cost or it's too high or there is long lead times and really bringing it into the forefront of this is what is required within a core media buying operation. This is this needs to be standardized. That's what we saw and we do see is uh, required to navigate these massive uh, challenges. Yeah, it's fascinating. But I want to circle on one challenge um, mm -hmm. you haven't really talked about just yet, which is the shift of privacy. I mean, you, we've got the third party cookies are going away. You mentioned earlier, Josh, about tracking within apps and Apple tracking transparency and all of these ways in which you're getting less data out of users on apps. We've got obviously regulatory change um, as well. But in our preparation, you said something that was quite interesting, Josh, in that you say that the shift to privacy is similar to how governments are shifting towards climate change action. Could you unpack that? What do you mean by when you said that? Yeah, um, I'll do another caveat as well before I kind of dive into that is that while privacy is the, the nomenclature that we use for this change, I do believe it is more Apple, Google trying to create moats around around or trying to create advertising businesses for in the example of Apple. So privacy is something that's almost a completely different topic, in my opinion, than what a lot of the conversation is around, which is around measurement which is around all of that. Because when, when some ad tech firms, 
they can work to create new forms of IDs that have uh, better consent and a better format and are, you know, less operable across many different ecosystems and all that stuff. But it's a little bit different than what is happening with like the deprecation of cookies and device IDs. That's almost like, I would say, two two separate things. But what I've noticed and the reason why I think it is very similar to climate change is that when I do have conversations with brands and with agencies, because it is such a large challenge and because also it's not really necessarily about privacy, but it is about these like big, the machinations of really, really large technology companies and kind of how they're changing the infrastructure that the industry collaborates on. It is multifaceted and really hard to unpack. And there's no like one step. It requires a lot of different parties to work together, similar to like a lot of different countries working together to solve this. And there are some that are massive and there are some that are smaller players. And there still isn't really a lot of dialogue going on. And so most of the time, while there has been wonderful conversation, a lot of marketing about it, and a lot of articles being read, when you actually do have conversations with advertisers and you ask them what actual steps have been put in place and what success have you had in taking these steps, most of it is still in the conversation piece. Most of it is more planning or learning or addressing, but it is kind of being, the can is being kicked down the road. And so that's why I feel it's it's very, very similar to our, our climate crisis in that it is it is coming, the timing is happening, but really it's kind of the window to address it before it just kind of gets dropped on you is is shrinking mm. it's fascinating because in it's and you could probably also stretch the metaphor out to how different countries approach privacy as well so you've got these different speeds in different regions so like europe is probably the most advanced in terms of privacy policy with gdpr and how they're enforcing it right and then you've that's warming up in the us and then in places like southeast asia and australia even India, you, you have this sort of watch and see type um, environment, right? Where it's like, oh, we're seeing these changes overseas. We're being impacted by big tech because of them, but we don't really have anything concrete that we that will address our behavior right now. You know, the amount of conversations I've had with, say, digital leaders and brands is like, oh, you know, we'll just wait until the legislation comes. And it's like, well, yes, true. You can't do a lot until that legislation comes in the market but on the other side you know privacy is actually about your brand as well it's about how you actually position yourself with your customers and also within the with your internal to ethics as a business um and so you know it's very real i think That's it'll be quite revealing when we see a lot of regulatory change that hammer starts to drop in different countries and their market is scrambling to go oh crap we haven't actually got an ethical framework now we need to develop one for how we actually, what data we collect and we send, you know, like even last year, Sephora was obviously a cosmetic brand, very, very successful business, but they were also fined, I think a million dollars for, uh, um, sending data to a third party ad network without the customer's consent. And so obviously there's a lot of sort of framework and thinking that needs to happen behind the scenes, um, before that regulatory change need, will happen, I think. But what are your thoughts? I, I, I agree. And I also think that's why um, advertisers need to divide the conversation into uh, two pieces, because 
measurement and interacting with the changes that are being caused by the ad platforms that you are using or the browsers or the devices that your customers are interacting with is a completely different set of circumstances to regionalized governments and what they say is required of you to interact with their citizens. And they're, they're very different and they don't always align with each other in, in a lot of circumstances. So, but, but yes, I agree. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's the right approach. You split it into two, right? One is about consumers. One is about technology, right? And like, how do you actually approach both of those things in a way that's is well compliant, right? But also enables growth. I mean, that's the sort of the chicken eggs situation is that yes, you know, we have to be compliant in terms of how brands work with data and how they use ad networks and how they target users and all that stuff, how they do analytics, mm -hmm. but they also have to grow. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you mentioned before, right? The shift is profitability. I mean, that is like oil and water often, I think with privacy, it's like, yes, you can't sort of get to profitability without sort of that sophisticated targeting. Um, maybe you can, but I think again, it's, it's a challenge, right? Like going, sorting out between those two things, growth and also being sort of compliant. There's a great organization called Civic Data. They're Australian based and they talk about that a lot and that, you know, you have to grow compliantly, right? Cause that future proofs your ability to actually go and create experiences for customers that last. And also you set up your team properly as well. So I think it's quite interesting. I mean, I, I, I do think that it's a bit of wait and see, but what, what are sort of the conversations that are directly impacting your customers at the moment? I mean, what kind of say in the last couple of weeks or, you know, does this, the topic of privacy come up a lot with how you, you're working with customers at the moment, or is it more of a tangential thing? Yeah. So the topic of privacy does come up as oftentimes the, the secondary to the, the conversation of measurement. And the conversation that really both are cycled around, which is first party data. So I um, need to now take on the onus of organizing, collecting and distributing my first party data for the purpose of targeting audiences and for the purpose of measuring ad effectiveness. So how do I need to do it in order to give these ad platforms what they need so I can measure? And how do I do it so I don't lose my profitability in fines? Those are kind of like the, the, you know, the, the two sides of the coin. And so most of the conversations we are having around those are about how do you collect and distribute this data? What are the tools that you can use? What are your options in terms of, you know, crawl, walk, run? And then how do you minimize risk? Because they, it's really not a conversation of no risk at all, but there are some, you know, fantastic tools and CDPs that help you understand different data points or columns within your, within your data model that have a very, very high risk profile. Like let's say an email, a medium to low risk profile, let's say like an IP address or like no risk profile, which would be, let's say something like a, a geographic region thing. So in Canada, that would be FSA or America would be zip code and then regionally you know, different players use different things. Yeah. So, so there's different layers, right? Like the sensitivity of the data may help you navigate what, um, you know, how you treat it or what will be your policy there. Um, it was just, I think that's a very helpful way of thinking about it. I, I agree with you that it is like with an email address or, you know, you're feeling deeper, right? Like a mobile phone number or 
you know, a home address, you know, all of that sort of data is very sensitive because it's tied to a specific user or a household. But then you've mm -hmm. got, you go further down the chain and it's like, yeah, geographic data, cookie data, uh, IP address, you know, those are all different things. And so like there's different layers of sensitivity, which is a great segue actually to talk about conversion APIs. And uh, what you're working on, which I find quite, find quite interesting is um, helping your customers think about the role of conversion APIs, what they are. Um, it's a fantastic piece. Definitely recommend um, the audience checks it out. Um, and that's actually in the show notes. So go have a look. Uh, but effectively, conversion APIs, are, they solve sort of part of the problem of third-party cookie replacement. And so for our listeners, you know, third-party cookies is a, you know, obviously it's a cookie stored on your browser. It follows you from site to site and it builds up a profile of uh, your browser and where you've been on the web um, so that advertisers can target you, right? So that's why you see annoying shoe ads whenever you go and look for shoes or you're going shoe shopping and then you'll be on a publisher or you'll be say on a blog or even on Facebook or whatever. And then you actually see those ads because it, those cookies are following you around the web. Now though, that's going away and it's very browser centric, that technology. And one of the biggest browsers is Google Chrome and they're looking to deprecate that technology in 2024. Now there's all this sort of um, rush into the, the replacement for that technology for advertisers. Um, but one of the area is conversion APIs. So perhaps could you unpack like, what does it, what is a conversion API? How does it work? And what's sort of the um, the advantage there over third-party cookies? Yeah, so I think first off, let's discuss the alternative to a cookie, and then we can talk about how you deliver it. Just really what a what a conversion API is is meant for is the delivery of data to and from. When we when we talk about cookies, a lot of the digital experiences around the web have changed. They have changed to become app experiences and they've changed to become digital portals. And so it's no longer an aspect of like 1995 internet where the entire web was just associated with small independent blogs and websites that, you know, needed a time point, a common time point altogether where, which just was a cookie. Now you have these massive lagoons where an entire consumer experience can be held within it. So that would be like your Facebooks and your Pinterests and your TikToks. And, you know, obviously Facebook is a great example of something that happens on the browser and happens on the phone. And when you are in that, you create profiles for yourself. You create, you input your name and your phone number and your email, you know, for two-step verification. And you say where you work and you state who you're married to, and you you create this entire association to you that is identifying much, much more than a cookie. Now, when you purchase something on a an e-commerce site, like, let's say, you know, like an H&M or a Zara, a lot of those data points will be in your, your billing information, right? And so if an advertiser is able to store that information compliantly with your permission and let's just for the you know for the point of the conversation state that advertisers is doing everything properly when it comes to consent and they're managing it all and you can withdraw it and yada 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 but let's say they're doing it properly and they have it available to them the way that they would usually send information to facebook in order to know that an ad was the one that created you to input your billing information and to buy that that shirt or those shoes or to build and price something on a website the way that they would usually do that is they would do something called client-side tagging. They would place Facebook's pixel and Facebook would use a cookie ID or a device ID to 
associate your activity and the ads they sent you with your purchase. Now, if Google as a browser is like, nope, I'm not sending that, then there's basically an intermediary between the pixel that you put on your website and the ad platform. And that intermediary is Google. And they're saying this line of communication is not happening. There are, all, there are alternative pipes that you can use, and it's on the advertiser's onus now to create those pipes. And those pipes are conversion APIs. And so if you work with Facebook, they'll tell you in order to enable an offline conversion or a conversion API, because technically the event can happen anywhere, what they just need for you to do is deliver data like this. And they're going to tell you the format it is. They're going to say it's first name, last name, email. It's going to be their address. It's going to be an entire user profile. And you could say that this person bought a shirt and it was worth $250. And you send it to them via an API they've enabled for you to, to access that is unique to you. As long as you can create the data and distribute the data yourself, then you can use conversion APIs. And many different platforms are enabling this as a way to, to take out the intermediary, to take out the middleman of, of, of Google's browser, essentially. So that's, that's what it is in, in reality. It's a, it's a new delivery method of data, but it requires an advertiser to do two new things, which they have never done before, which is structure their data in a good enough way that everything that's required from that advertiser is there and deliver it in a proper format. And now the other problem is the format and the data that Pinterest needs or the format and the data that Facebook needs or the format and the data that TikTok needs or even the format and data that Google's own conversion API needs, they are all different and unique and they have their own cadence to it. So it is much, much more complex than the simplicity that was almost universally the same of placing client side pixels. And that's kind of the, the, the level set for what, a, for what's happening with conversion APIs. It's interesting because it reminds me a lot of like Facebook custom audiences where, you know, exactly. that would be direct, like say, if you're on Shopify, you can just send a, just sort of, you can create an integration where you're just sending data through to a custom audience. And then that data is sort of hashed and stored on Facebook. So you're basically sending Facebook email addresses basically, but but the whole idea is that you can create retargeting lists out of that or win back audiences out of that or customers who say, abandon a checkout, you can do that sort of retargeting. So that that's not going away, is it? That sort of ability to custom audiences, is it? Or, or and, and then I think Google has something similar with like direct audiences or name something similar to that. Is that sort of still in play here alongside conversion APIs or is it all part of the same methodology? It's the same thing. So what did a pixel allow you to do before? It allowed you to create retargeting pools and it allowed you to measure media effectiveness, right? And so it's really just as a platform, I need to get a vision of your customers. Now you could put it, you could put some timestamps on it so I can associate it in succession with an ad, or you can send it to me without a timestamp and I can make it into an audience. But really it's just is the browser the intermediary that's going to decide whether your data gets to the endpoint that you need it to get to? And, mm. and do you allow Google to determine whether the, the audience piece that end platform needs in order to create audiences, to create measurement, 
is that going to be entirely decided by Google's browser? Not even GTM, not even the tools that Google enables you to even work around their browser, but do you allow Chrome to make that determination or Safari or Mozilla or Brave or you know one of the other options? And so the alternative is you create your own pipes and you manage your own data infrastructure and you create your own audience graph, essentially. Manage it, distribute it, maintain it, and all of that has massive opportunities because it means pixels used to only be able to be placed within browsers and apps. But technically, if you gathered this data for something that happened in real life at a store, then measurement offline is possible. Then audiences that bought something in a store is possible. Now that's the benefit. Then it obviously always comes with an intrinsic and equal value of, you know, Newton's law of, gra of, of physics, where everything comes with an equal an opposite reaction, there is risk to it because before it was on the onus of the, the, the platform that pixel you were placing really to maintain all of its user base and wherever it was drawing it from. Now you need to have all of that infrastructure and consent is a, and you know, if we want to talk about privacy, the main, I think, hurdle that advertisers or brands are going to understand is that it is not a one-time thing that only is completely done when somebody just clicks your your banner on your website it is something that is constantly happening and there needs to be a way to constantly maintain someone's consent because they can withdraw it or change it at any time and that sort of interaction with thousands to potentially maybe millions of customers becomes difficult at scale yeah i think there's there's sort of two angles on this which is interesting the first one is that conversion apis is a it seems like it's quite fragmented, right? Like the way that that data would be treated, say with Facebook versus Google versus Amazon mm -hmm. versus TikTok versus Pinterest. If you're an agency, you'll need to be able to figure out the methodology across all of those different endpoints for the API. That's mm -hmm. how I understand it. Does that sound about right in terms of like, Correct. there's different APIs for different platforms effectively. You have to kind of choose the right one for the each sort of platform or end publisher. Yes, there are sometimes two unique KPIs for audience delivery and for measurement delivery. But what's more different is that the APIs are unique across them. So conversion APIs also can be not very successful unless you deliver that platform's unique click ID with it. But the click ID isn't something that's easily creatable. And it also requires you to have a little bit of a data processing treatment where you where you bring it into the file. So there is complexities with these products, mostly because I think of their, of how young they are still and how even the platforms that are from the parent companies that are causing this change haven't made it easy or simple for advertisers to use. And so then it becomes on the onus of the advertiser to hack the solution that a platform delivered to it to get over the problem that was presented to it by that exact same platform, which is the odd, funny thing about the industry. The way yeah, they are working in age. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, Joseph, uh, yeah, there's always going to be the hackers, right? <laughs> there's always going to be people that's going to push, say, you know, Google ad or Facebook's ad network to its absolute limits, you know, uh, and you'll we'll probably see the same thing here. But there's two questions that I have to follow on, which Conversion APIs, do they also manage events in the same way that pixels do? So a, a pixel, when you yeah. go on the site, 
you know, add to cart would be an event that would send back to Facebook or watch the video. You know, you can sort of predefine a lot of the events that would send back from that user. How does conversion APIs run events? What what does that sort of look like? You mentioned there's some sort of offline management of data there, or what does that sort of tend to look like um, technologically? Uh, so it's it's the exact same. It's the absolute exact same. So conversion APIs, funny enough, when we implement them, there's usually two different versions of a conversion API that we enable. We enable the version that is created from the website event. And then there's also a conversion that is enabled potentially from offline events if an advertiser has it. So really, Google Tag Manager or your CDP's Tag Manager functionality will create the format of the data table exactly like a pixel would. The only thing with a pixel is you don't see it, right? You don't actually see the data table oftentimes that it's creating in its, in its raw format. Just with conversion APIs, you do because you have Google Tag Manager or another Tag Manager deliver that data table into your cloud warehouse. So S3 for Amazon, Blob for Azure, um, BigQuery for Google. And so then you would then be on your onus to take that data table, slice it and dice it as it's needed and deliver it to advertisers. If the event of landing on a page, viewing a product, adding to cart, initiating checkout is determined in that, in a, in a specific column, you can slice and dice data however you want. Really the functionality for segmenting and controlling and partitioning data only becomes more so when you take on the onus of doing it yourself. It's just more difficult than it used to be when it comes to placing pixels. Yeah, you have to be a bit more sophisticated, right, in terms of that data model, how you store it. You mentioned CDP, which I'm assuming for this to work really well, you'd need to associate events back to a user, which with tag management, you can do that, say, on the browser level or a user level, but not on a specific email address. But I guess that's the, the challenge there is like, how do you set that schema up or that table up in a way that's really robust, but also captures the events, it's easy to update. I mean, if you go to Google Tag Manager, you can set up events pretty straightforward. Like you need a little bit of technical knowledge to do that. But like, if you want to set a new event, say clicked on something in the footer or added more than one product to cart, you know, you can kind of do that and tag manage pretty easily, but it seems like there's a little bit more technical know-how needed to do this kind of events collection and profiling for the user. But my second question actually, Josh, is just on, on data sharing. So conversion APIs, uh, how do they how do they work with say do they hash data do they anonymize or encrypt that sort of sensitive first party data back to the publisher or say in this case it would be Facebook as an example? Yes. So um, the way that Facebook treats data from the pixel is very very similar to the way Facebook treats data from a conversion API. And usually platforms will give you two options based on how sophisticated they are. Some platforms do the hashing for you some platforms require you to do the hashing yourself. So there is a little bit of a um, a requirement on your end to be able to, okay, so you've got your data table. It's not only just delivering it, but it's also delivering it in a way that the platform's legal team have said, I want to accept this, right? So, and that's based on what they want to do with their engineering and how they want to like take on the onus of cost and things like that. Cause every form of hashing and processing does change costs. So there's this whole kind of change that's going on, but yes, you will then have to re 
be required to figure out how to hash and deliver it. So when you talk about CDPs in that conversation, they do simplify a lot of this process because part of their value add is we're going to maintain the APIs. We're going to have direct relationships with each one of these platforms. We're going to have a specific team that's literally built to just maintain the connection that our CDP has with that platform. And we're going to basically simplify a lot of the, a lot of this process. And that is part of the, the value that they provide for their cost. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting. Like there's, I see holistically this blending of the worlds of advertising and marketing technology coming together more because of moving towards first party data. I mean, you know, first party data, um, historically has been used for own channels, right? And that's like marketing technology, you know, you mm -hmm. email marketing, your on-site personalization, your decisioning, you know, app, SMS, all your sort of owned channels, right? But when it comes to paid channels, you know, that has historically been on the other side, right? Of third party tracking and cookies. But now there's this sort of interesting world where a lot of agencies are having to learn CDP to figure out how to to best leverage, say, a, a conversion API or or even things like um, even looking at the past month, the Trade Desk and Lotome have come out with their own CDP type solutions, you know, and for the reason for that is because they're trying to get more access to that first party data, which is sort of our last resort. <laughs> now that third party cookies is going away, you know, you've got a third, second and first and second is like the ignored cousin, right? That never sees any sort of traction. Because it's like direct sharing with partnerships with like, say, events and other media things where you're sharing that second party data. But first party data is like the next sort of battleground, I guess, for advertising. And I always scratch my head a bit, Josh, and ask, well, is that right? You know, is that, should we actually just be looking at totally new alternatives here outside of looking at the direct data you can collect on a user? Is there other opportunities outside of that? Is there fourth party data that you could use? You know, like yeah. that's uh, the term is money. zero. Yeah. Well, you can go to zero minus one, right? Like minus one's a party data, which would be like, you know, you're not using any data at all. We just all just get cut off in the industry. It implodes. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that there's, it's interesting. Like how, how do you think about that shift to first party data? You must've been, and your team must've have to learn a lot about um, first party data management just to overcome some of these challenges. Yeah, or or what we try to do is is provide um, provide very stepped solutions right to our customers because it's not. I think a lot of people get a little overwhelmed by trying to immediately jump into the capabilities that they read about in articles on their LinkedIn feed and and things like that because it it does become almost insurmountable when you start to break that down. But there are um, there are a lot of steps that you can take that are quite reasonable. And there's also, there are alternative forms to measurement, which is kind of what you were talking about. So zero party data, how we've seen it classified is consumer, there's no intermediary, there's no person in between. It's a customer just saying, answering a question that you've delivered to them through some sort of like survey basis. So a lot of what advertisers are doing right now to try to figure out the attribution challenge is after a purchase, asking the customer, where did you come from? Like, tell me where you saw our ad or were influenced. Was it word of mouth? Was it some sort of article? Um, how, how did that happen? 
So that's like one form. And the other form is there's a lot of, um, you know, great survey-based measurement being being provided to the market that kind of shows incrementality. So there are alternatives in just literally saying, okay, I'm not going to, I'm just going to ask the customer directly what, what happened. And I think um, kind of doing that and trying to figure out more how to develop that connection to, to the customer and using survey methodology and lift methodology, that's kind of, that's an approach that's happening. And that type of lift methodology approach is being brought to mixed media modeling, where you try to look at things on a geographic basis. And there are some advertisers that work well there. So there's a lot of options and there's a lot of really cool things and ideas that are being brought to the market. But really what we're seeing is there's no one silver bullet. There's a replacement. This is how it's going to work. It's more that as a marketer, you have to be able to play within that middle ground of uncertainty and still drive and still know what is worth following, what is solid, even if it's not fully 100% conclusive um, and being able to kind of solve that. And so all marketers are starting to need to become analysts and really understand, I think, the the assets, the data assets they're working with and both their both their opportunities, but also their intrinsic weaknesses and work within the middle and know what they can and can't pay attention to. Uh, and that's a quite a big shift, I think, even just culturally within the, um, the advertising and marketing industry, because the web became a massive opportunity for marketers about 20 years ago. And since then, it's kind of been a free-for-all, right? Just experiment, do whatever you want, um, you know, <laughs> lot, lot of regulation. I mean, if you look at other industries, right, like you have to spend, say, eight years to become a doctor. You Well, there's a reason for that because you're, you know, you're working with actual people in their health. Same with being a lawyer, right? It has real consequences in the real world if you misbehave or you don't have the right knowledge. And for marketers, I mean, when I started out, I learned a free course provided by Google. I also learned a free course provided by Facebook, the Facebook blueprint. And sure, it helped me get a job, but there wasn't necessary prerequisites. And so, you know, we've been in this sort of this interesting space where there's been a lot of opportunity that's been created, but there's been a lot of bad actors as well. And there's been a lot of, I guess, perhaps you could say misuse within say ad tech and, you know, even with like knowing how much your brand is even spending when it comes to programmatic within ad tech networks. And like, I, I look at it and I'm like, well, yeah, maybe this is just a correction, you know, more than, and more of a professionalization of advertising, you know, not every person should probably be in, in this space if they want to be, you know, you have to actually work quite hard to learn this stuff, but also I think regulate, regular, uh, regulatory change makes it a more, a safer place for brands to work in, but also for, for the consumers that are being impacted by, um, the ad, ad tech network as well. Because, yeah, I, I don't know. I just think that we've been having a lot of fun and the party's been going for a while, but now, you know, it's time. The cops haven't shown up yet, but, <laughs> but you know, the, uh, it's time to sort of pack away the chairs and, and start thinking seriously and soberly about how we're using data with brands. That's actually an interesting thing you said um, that I kind of think maybe reveals something, but this is also just a riff. But um, a lot of the learning has been led by the companies that wants you to choose them. And now you have to make your own decisions. And they, the answers do require a certain level of expertise, but they also require um, 
you to lead from your own instincts and from your own voice because it's going to require a bit of opinion and part of what will validate you as a driver for a brand, as a leader for that brand's marketing dollars is in the human intuition aspect that is going to have to check a lot of the data reports that come in. And we do often believe that, for example, all every media buying pod here has a unique thing in that a data scientist is matched up with a trader. Like, And the trader's job is to vet with their own intuition of what they've seen working and what they know about the brand, whether or not the reports that they're getting or the analytics or even the algorithms that are being applied to their campaigns are driving in the right direction. And I think both of those things is going to be very, very healthy for um, for advertising uh, because for a while it's just been like, nope, believe in my attribution methodology and this is what it is by, you know, look at my own self-validating way of directing you and, and go to my course, which is all you need in order to get a job. And it just kind of has like a self-fulfilling prophecy of where dollars are going. But um, I think now uh, media professionals are going to need their own, need their own direction. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there's uh you, you, you really sort of framed it well in that. Um, yes, for a lot of years, the um, frameworks and the mental models for how you think about advertising have actually been set by the companies that are most to benefit from it, right? Which is the major platforms. Say, you know, for example, right, Google Analytics and Google Tag Manager, free product, anyone can go and use it. And what they did over 20 years is that they had a whole generation of people growing up looking at the world of analytics from the standpoint of Google, because that's what they learned. It was the most accessible. It also created a lot of jobs. It also created a lot of economic opportunity for people who perhaps um, struggle to get into the digital marketing space. And so there's a double-edged sword there where they create a lot of opportunity, but also now everyone sees advertising and analytics and effectiveness from a viewpoint of Google, because that's the tools that they used. And so it's somewhat insidious, but on the other side, it's actually been a real value unlock for people that are trying to build skills and find careers as well. So, you know, I, I it's always it's up for the DOJ okay. to figure out. Yeah. Say again. It's up for the DOJ to figure out how, ah, how that. Ah, ah, to, ah, yeah. But yeah. I, I think you're right. That, that there's a, uh, perhaps a value in education here. Like, like even now I'm just starting to see universities introduce MarTech courses that will teach people how to use CDPs from an academic standpoint, not just from a vendor education-led standpoint. You know, so I think that's a really wonderful step. You know, there's some great organizations out there that are, um, you know, that are offering courses to really skill people up in different aspects. You know, for example, uh, UOMF Digital, a US-based education firm that teaches uh, people how these different ad networks work. They do workshops, they do training, they do a bunch of stuff, right? And I'm assuming that you do a bunch of training as well with your customers. There's a lot of learning that happens even within a customer engagement. But I would say that there's, I think there's some great movement there, but we're very slow to formalize education in this space. And I think that's where the vendor opportunity comes in to set those um, those frameworks for how people think about advertising. Yeah. One of the best things that I love doing, uh, which made me want to launch a company and love my job in particular, especially because I get to spend so much time with data engineering and product, is I love to show my customers, or the brands that I work with and the, and the agencies that I work with, okay, this is this is the end result of this analytics. 
this was the raw data assets and the entire process of how we use these raw materials to create this thing. Now, most people don't love going through that process because it can be very daunting. But if you do know the raw materials and how everything, like how these two data sets were connected of you delivered an ad here and then somebody bought this on the other side, you then, I don't think, feel as scared of this massive change because your interaction with this isn't just a UI that somebody taught you in a free online course. You really have the ability to deconstruct at the ingredient level how all of this works. And that's the direction I would give a lot of people to take is be like, okay, can I can I see that raw data table? I want to understand how these two data sets were connected and then how that analytics was provided. And that is the number one thing that I love to do with anybody who will go there with me. Because once you actually do work from that conversation, like working on a brand's challenge becomes really fun because it becomes almost like a product-led endeavor when you try to solve this you're like okay what act what materials do i have and kind of going back to the thing we talked about at the top the thing that's the most common um or the between all of these industries i work with within all of these challenges is the fact that it all still comes back to rows and columns and what do you have available to you in order to solve am I driving growth for the brand? Um, and so really at the end of the day, that's like the bedrock. That's the ingredients to solving any industry's challenges at the end of the day being like, what data do I have? What rows and columns do I have to work with too? Yeah. It all comes back to that, invent that. my way out of this. Yeah. Yeah. But invent your way out of it. Like, I think that's a really great perspective to have because that's not saying, um, you know, here's this great feature that you can use with Google. This is a, oh, this is how you do it with Facebook. This is saying, this is the data we have. And how do we get the most value out of that from a holistic perspective, not just from one vendor? I mean, I've seen a ton of brands that have been locked into one ad network because their agency or the people running the ads internally, they uh, only know that platform, right? They're like, yes, I only know Facebook or I only know, say, you know, Amazon or I only know Google, Google right? And so I think that's an important role that I think a lot of agencies, I would say probably downplay is that, that holistic experience across all platforms. Um, and agnostic. yeah, and being agnostic, but also being able to see the opportunities for each brand, right? Like you need to know the landscape before you write a strategy, right? You need to know the lay of the land, you need to know the map, you need to know the players, you need to know the opportunities before you can actually write a strategy. And I think that above and beyond, I think most of that knowledge and that insight is actually from agencies, from people like, like yourself that are working at Clue building up that knowledge day after day, as you've tried, you experiment, you figure out new things as well. But I wanted to circle on one last topic, which is something I think is quite interesting, just looking at that knowledge creation within agencies and, and how are you tackling things like customer consent, given that you know, you're obviously experimenting with conversion APIs, you're looking at more first-party data. How are you helping brands figure out what they do with consent for their users beyond just say a cookie pop-up that asks you to accept all cookies. You know, what does that look like? What does that sort of privacy positive methodology education kind of look like with your brands? How do you tackle that? Yeah. So there are, I just said that, and then we're going back to 
to tools or to platforms, but there are actually a lot of great tools that are coming out onto the market that allows you to create the functionality of active consent. So does first off, do first off you have clear language about what you're trying to collect and what you're doing with it? Is it clearly stated when you ask for consent and can at any time somebody withdraw their consent and it actually does affect your communications with them, right? Because that's also where the disconnect can happen is it's not just on your end, are you, do you allow them to say yes or no? But then does that information also affect your media campaign on Facebook or well, whether or not you're retargeting them? Because that's actually a disconnect that happens often. So really it's a, again, a data pipes challenge. The other thing that we're trying to show our partners when we show them the raw data assets is that there are less risky data points that you can use to quite very, like quite meaningfully determine or drive your campaign or measure that aren't user level. And like, how does this work? What do you use? And what are you basically saying then when you are determining the influence when you're working at a household level or when you're working at a geographic level, like what is, what is there and what is viable for you to use? And I think, I, I think that by helping them understand, like get out of just the UI that's telling them, did you get a conversion or not? And to start to take the reins of building your own measurement and attribute model and making it working off of data points that are less risky, that's also another viable method. And that's like the most sustainable, but it requires advertisers to, to make that change, to not require it to be a one-to-one -one type of thing. And so usually we try to kind of stack both against each other and show how the result can actually end up being very, very similar. And just helping them by putting them side by side, it is working. So in those two methodologies, giving them the tools to make user level handling of data safer and auditable and like defendable by law, that's kind of one thing. And then showing them that working at a higher level can net you a very, very similar result and can actually open up more opportunities for prospecting and for finding high funnel and middle funnel opportunities. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot there. So just kind of bringing them into that, into that next step. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting perspective that you're sharing because we often think of consent as like a tick box, right? It's more of a, maybe a regulatory thing. It's like, yeah, we need to make sure we have consent, tick, tick, tick. But what you're saying is that consent is actually opportunity. Consent is about relationship between a customer and how much data they're willing to share. It's about a value exchange. It's about what kind of data you need. Um, you know, not all brands need really deep first-party data, um, to your point. And so I think you're right if you shift the conversation from how do we just make sure we cover our bums to how do we make the most of this opportunity? How do we really show the user what kind of value is for them, whether it be personalized ads, which is a value proposition for your customers. I mean, you know, a lot of people complaining right now <laughs> with third party cookies going away that like, you know, ads are no longer personalized and there's a lot of junk. 
So that's a value proposition. So is a personalized experience. So is a little value add as well in terms of a free gift or a discount. You know, all those things are part of the consent picture because users are saying, well, what do I get out of this if I say a tick, 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 and I want to share this sort of level of data? I mean, even yesterday, I was, um, I've got an anniversary coming up. It's a big one, a 10-year anniversary. And I went onto a website for a nice restaurant. And the first thing I was greeted with was, give us your email address and give us your date of birth. And we'll give you a free $100 feast on your birthday, basically. And I'm like, oh, that's a cool value, value exchange, right? Tick, tick, tick. Yep, sure. Happy to consent to having my data used with an ad partner or, or whatever. And so... You know, you can see the opportunity in that, the opportunity for consumer, but also the opportunity for the advertiser as well. And so I think it's a really fascinating insight. But Josh, we are wrapping up. Thank you for sharing your insights. Fascinating deep dive into conversion APIs and how you're seeing the changes within the advertising industry work out on the ground day to day with customers you're serving. So thank you for that. But my last question to you, Josh, is where can we find you online? Um, yeah, so you can find us at meetclue.com. That's our that's our website. Um, and we're also very active on uh, LinkedIn as the main social media. You know, connect with us through our, our company page or actually just reach out to individual members of the team. We're, we're very, very friendly. And there's a lot of amazing conversations that's just have started between peers that ended up becoming great partnerships. So I'd say even more than just connecting with clue as a company connect with us as people on linkedin yeah, wonderful wonderful well uh, definitely check out clue and josh and his team really interesting work but we are featuring people in making sense of martech all the time people who are at the forefront of the industry really thinking about how technology and marketing collide with each other so thanks again for joining us josh and uh, have a good day thank you